Would you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46? Isaiah 46, verses 3 through 11. And following the reading of Scripture, we will sing together the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah 46, beginning at verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you and I will sustain you and I will rescue you. To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift it to their shoulders and carry it. They set it on its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Though one cries out to it, it does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. Remember this, fix it in your mind, take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far-off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will do. That is, will, God will add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. Amen. Uh, this wonderful catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, is at the present taking us through the different portions of the Apostles' Creed. And this, these two questions, 27 and 28, are a continued explanation of what is it that we mean when we confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. What are we saying when we confess that? We've talked about God's character and um, his role as creator and sustainer, we come back in these two questions to the the idea of his providence. Uh, If God is the creator and he is indeed almighty, then isn't it likely that he continues to be almighty and sustain that which he has created? Uh, If he is indeed God our father, is it not true that he would continue to exercise his authority over all that he has made for the benefit of those who are his children? And the answer to both of those is yes. He is almighty. He continues to have sovereignty. He continues to be our father who has authority. As one has written, providence is nothing more than the belief in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, brought to bear on our present blessings 
and troubles and giving us hope for the future. Well, as we think about that and think about these two questions and what they're asking us, there's two overarching main points. One is, what is providence? And the second is, why is it helpful for us to know that? And so I want us to think about that in just surveying the first answer. And God's providence is he is the everywhere present almighty God who by his hand not only made all things, but upholds all things, preserves them uh, so that all the things that we have in this world and all the events that come true in our lives come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So it's giving us the fact that God is the preserver and sustainer of the universe and that he is the sovereign governor of all the universe. And those two truths are uh, laid out and explained and and, um, given to us here. And for many, when they come become a Christian, this kind of mindset is very challenging because we're used to thinking of the world as non-Christians, as somewhere where, well, if there's a God, man does things and God's busy reacting and trying to mess things, trying to clean things up. And we see the, the, the world from the vantage point of man as sort of the center of all things. When, when you become a Christian, you have to have a change of reference. And as you get to know God, you begin to realize the center of reference is a man, the center of reference in all things, not only in nature, not only governing the world, but in, even in our salvation, the center of reference is God. He's the one that's the focal point. He governs all things. <clears throat> and so let's just think about God's governance in a variety of ways that drawn out from this particular answer. Uh, there'll be some scriptures that I'll simply read for you, and then there's others that I will have you turn to. He, God governs all creation. He governs nature. Uh, Psalm 104 highlighted God is the governor of all that he's created. He provides food for his creatures. He governs over the, the, uh, uh, the, the storms and the the, the climate. <clears throat> Psalm 135, he makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. In Psalm 147, he stirs his, his breezes and the waters flow. Uh, Psalm 148, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds, they do his bidding. There's no such thing as Um, Mother Nature. Even if we benignly talk about it, and I'm not saying you're a terrible person if you talk about Mother Nature, but there really is no such thing as Mother Nature. There's the God who is sovereign over all nature. Uh, All that transpires is according to his holy will. He governs the animals. We have many interesting and some humorous illustrations of that in the scriptures. Uh, It's not a humorous illustration, but an interesting one comes to us from uh, Daniel in the lion's den. We know those lions were hungry. They hadn't had a meal in a long time. And Daniel's thrown into the lion's den 
to be eaten by the lions. But God, the lions aren't under the control of men. They're under the control of God. And Daniel in his confession says, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me. You see, God is the sovereign over all that he's created, over all the animals, over nature. He governs all the actions of men. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Here, this is part of Peter's sermon. So Acts 2.23, it's part of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost where he's talking about and explaining what happened when Jesus was crucified. And he says this, uh, Acts 2.23, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So who crucified Jesus? It was God's will. God determined it. God planned it. In a sense, in that sense, God crucified Christ. But then Peter is well within his Writes to say, but no, it was you. You did it. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. And there's this balance, and some for us sometimes a, a, a challenge between God's sovereign power and control and man's responsibility and his accountability. Man is accountable for all the actions that he does. But God is working sovereignly through them and in them and using them for his own glory. Turn to Acts 4, Acts 4.25, the people of God praying to the Lord. They're experiencing persecution. And we have in verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth (coughs) take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That's Psalm 2. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand, should happen. And the Bible affirms, in no uncertain terms, man's responsibility. And the Bible affirms, equally true, in no uncertain terms, God's absolute sovereignty. And you and I, as human beings, you and I, as, even as his children, we, we struggle with those things. But they're both revealed clearly in the word of God. And so the question is not whether we can figure it all out. It's whether we will rest in the word of our God, the Almighty. The nations are under his control. Psalm 33, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of his people's. God is sovereign over Satan and all the angels and all the evil spirits. They're created beings. They have no independent power and authority. 
When Satan wanted to afflict Job, he had to go get God's permission to do that. God is sovereign over all their actions, never for a moment. that The evil one will <clears throat> seek to bring temptation your way. Um, he's the accuser of the brethren. But never think for a moment that he is independent or in his power. Um, he is a servant of God, though he hates that. Uh, God uses wicked people for his plans. It's God that empowers them to do their work. Jesus, in his conversation with Pontius Pilate, spoke to him and said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. God empowered Pilate to be able to do the wicked deed he wanted to do. But it was, it was authorized and empowered by God. He rules over all the events and affairs in our world. Uh, go back to Isaiah. <clears throat> we'll revisit one passage and look at another passage. Uh, turn first to Isaiah 45. Six and seven. It says here, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes told us, when times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. None of these affairs are missing in God's purpose and, and sovereignty. As much as we might struggle with them sometimes. <clears throat> God says in Deuteronomy, behold, now that I myself am he, there is no God besides me. I put to death, I bring to life, I have wounded and I will heal, and no one can deliver out of my hand. And if you're still in Isaiah, the passage we read a portion of that, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. <clears throat> and one other passage I'd like you to turn to is uh, Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. Just looking at God's sovereignty over all things, over all nations. This is the conclusion of the humili humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar. He had thought he, he, he exalted himself and took all glory to himself and God said, I'm going to humble you, and he did. And at the end of the, that time, Daniel 4.34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. 
He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? In the context of our redemption in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul summarizes God's work in saying, In him, in Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, the purpose of just applying you with verse after verse after verse, and we could continue to go on for a long time, is not to just sort of oppress you with the amount of scriptures that I can get you, and it's not to kind of beat you into submission, because the reality is I know I can't convince any of you of any of this. And I say that because of my own personal experience. When I was in college, someone came to me and they suggested to me and they promoted to me the doctrine of God's sovereignty. And my reaction was, I got mad. How dare you speak to me about those kinds of things? And I shook shook the dust off my feet and walked away. But the thing, and as a Christian, the same thing is true for you. You can't escape the word of God. And while a man, a human, couldn't convince me, God has uh, uh, the ability. And as you read his scripture, he will humble you. And there will be questions you still won't know the answers to and you won't be able to figure it all out. And that's fine. But you know who God is. And you will find help in who he is. And if I have any purpose at all, it's to push you not only to research this for yourself. But also to perhaps move you from thinking God's sovereignty is something, well, I have to tolerate it because it's true, but to find something, but to realize it's something in which you can find hope and delight and help in. To not look at the lens, uh, at uh, providence through the lens of human autonomy, but look at providence through the lens of God, the Father who knows every single hair on your head, who knows every single sparrow that falls from the sky, that he is at work on your behalf, even in puzzling and troubling events. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, who writes commentary on this catechism, has this brief paragraph. There are no accidents in your life. Every economic downturn, every phone call in the middle of the night, every oncology report has been sent to us from the God who sees all things, plans all things, and loves us more than we know. Whether it means the end of suffering or the extension of suffering, God in his providence is for us and not against us. And perhaps this pushes us on to the the second main point, which is ultimately what a hope will drive to, is what is the benefit for us in knowing these things? And the benefit to us that this 
answer summarizes as three things in particular to be patient in adversity, to be thankful in prosperity, and to place our trust in our faithful Father for the future. So there's patience in adversity, there's thankfulness and prosperity, there's hope, confidence for the future. Knowing the providence of God, not having the answers to everything, because you will never have the answers to everything. But knowing the providence of God, the sovereign providence of God, helps us to be patient in adversity. Things that don't seem to make sense will in time make sense. Or at least we'll know that God had a good purpose in it. When Joseph was in prison for those 20 years or so, you know, none of that made sense. What am I doing here, God? I'm your child. What am I doing in prison here? And then he had his, he, he started to pros, prosper in Potiphar's house and that all went wrong. He started to prosper in prison and that all went wrong. And none of it made sense. Until later on, when Joseph could say, you know, you meant to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many people. The slavery in Egypt didn't make any sense. Why would God take the people of Israel and make them slaves in Egypt for 400 years? But God used it to provide protection for the people in the intervening years so that the hope and the promise of the Messiah would be preserved and ultimately bring a great deliverance, a great demonstration of redemption. The execution of the Son of God on the cross doesn't, humanly speaking, make any sense at all. Surely something else could be done. But afterwards... We, we see the purpose. We see the redemption that God has planned. And seeing God's providence, it helps us to be patient in adversity. Because we know that God is still in control, even though we don't know exactly what's going on. The second thing is that we are thankful when things go well. <clears throat> Do we... Remember to be thankful to God when we have prosperity. You prayed for that job. When you get the job, do you thank God first of all? You go on a trip and you pray for God to give you safety on the journey. When you get back, the first thing you do is unpack and do laundry, right? No, the first thing you need to do is thank God that he brought you home safely. Are we thankful in prosperity? When things are going well... Do we take that for granted? Or do we spend time thanking God for the goodness that he's poured out into our lives, the the wonderful things that he's done for us, uh, the favors that we have have had? And the third thing is to have confidence for the future. The providence of God is to help us to remember 
that no matter what circumstances come in our lives in the days ahead, we can have hope in our God and Father that he is at work for our good. He is at work that all things would work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That we can have confidence and hope for the future no matter what it is that we're going to experience. Now that doesn't take away the normal anxieties that come our way. I'm not saying you have to be less than human. That's not the point. The point is when you're wrestling with your anxieties, when you're wrestling with those uncertainties and all those worries and concerns come flooding into you, one of the things that you can do to help yourself is to remember these didn't take God by surprise. God is so sovereign even over all of this. And I may not know where he's taking me, but I know it's him that's taking me. And I know that he will not let one hair fall from my head except according to his good will and good purpose for me. This is the wonderful truth of the providence of God, the sovereign providence of God. May you and I, by God's grace, richly grab a hold of that and cast ourselves upon him and find that strength and help and hope that we can have in him. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truths of Scripture, some that are challenging for us, but nevertheless, they reveal your glorious and wonderful character. We are so grateful for that. Lord, help us as we read the Scriptures, as we reflect on the truth of your sovereignty and your providence, your care in our lives. Uh, There are going to be days when we struggle, and we know that, but Help us to be drawn back again and again uh, to the fact that um, we are not walking alone, but we are walking hand in hand with you. And your hand will never let go of us. Help us, Lord, uh, in the, the prosperous times to be full of thankfulness. Help us in the challenging times to be full of hope and faith in you. For your glory and honor, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.